You're tuned into Two Shades of Blue, a Carolina Blitz podcast featuring Royal and Terrence, two brothers from another mother who rep rival teams eight miles down Tobacco Road. Each week, Royal and Terrence will give their real and unbiased take on all Carolina sports and entertainment. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to Carolina Blitz's own Two Shades of Blue podcast. My name is Royal Howell, my co-host Terrence Hatchett, and we have a special, special guest today, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to give you a little rundown of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, that is, as well as a little breakdown of um, protocols within the health profession, and we're going to jump right into it today, ladies and gentlemen. T? Yo, yo, this is Terrence Hatchett, co-host of the Two Shades of Blue yeah, I decided to open up with that future track because today is the five-year anniversary of Purple Rain. And not only Purple Rain, but the five-year anniversary of the Panthers curb stomping Seattle here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the epic Trey, Trey Boston hitting the DJ Esco dance after sacking Russell Wilson. We don't have to explain Russell Wilson's future connection. We all know what's up with that. We all know what's up with that. But yeah, we have a special guest. Um, He's my dad, but we call him the coach. He's a frontline essential worker in the trenches fighting the pandemic. Coach, introduce yourself real quick. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Coach, better known as Terrence's dad, better known as Royal's adopted dad. Just want to shout out to everybody on the show, Two Shades of Blue, um, and just let everybody know that how proud I am of, of my sons and, uh, as they stated, I am on the front line, um, but I'm about as interested in everything Carolina, slightly Duke, but I know that I have to be politically correct on this show. So yeah, I'm interested in Carolina Duke, been a season ticket holder for the Panthers from their inception down in Clemson, 1995. I've been a season ticket holder for the Hornets for over 20, over 20 some years. So that's my credentials. I'll try to add to the conversation. I'll try to share my expertise as a, as a physician anesthesiologist who uh, has to deal with COVID every day. Not only is a great doctor, he's a great basketball coach as well. So we'll be bringing the heat. Um, first topic, we have Kim Mulkey, head women's coach at Baylor. She came out and said, basically said that the NCAA is only playing games for the money. They need money from the men's tournament. They don't care about the health and safety of the players, the coaches, all the people involved. They just need the March Madness dollar. Um, fellas, what do you think about her statement and how do you feel about the NCAA just playing, just playing sports in a pandemic, uh, mainly just football and basketball. We all know that those are the money sports and we all know who plays in the money sports. Um, fellas, what do you think? Is she right? Coach, I'm going to let you start it off since you're the expert. 
Well, it's clear um, that the NCAA for a long time has practiced institutional slavery. And what I mean by that is that that you have created great riches for the elite, the elitists and the, and the university people, 90% who are educated white people and under the guise of supplying the disenfranchised population, which makes up the most of the most of the two major sports in college, or put another way, the two revenue generating sports, put another way, slave wages. Oh, excuse me, they don't even get paid a dime. So the NCA just needs it needs to be transparent about it. Um, I was a little bit happy to see uh, back about a year or two ago now where they were trying to trying to trying to figure out a way to um, support the athletes because these athletes are generating we're not we're not talking chump change we're talking millions of dollars no 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 not for, millions for, billions excuse me billions 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 of dollars at the NCAA level so Ken Mulkey I, I praise her for coming out with that statement because there, there are not a whole lot of other people that are looking at it. They're, they're enabling most of, most of the NCAA when you get down to, to, the, to the athletic directors and the coaches, they're just, they're just enablers. They're just perpetuating the situation. Now, here, here's the thing. This is what's so bad about it. You're taking a population of kids who their age group, they believe that they're invincible. It's been a long time for me, but I remember when, when I was in college and I remember when we were just starting to find out about HIV. And my attitude was, I ain't gonna get it because at the time they supposedly said it came out of Africa. At the time they supposedly said it was in the homosexual population. So I was like, check, check, good. Hadn't been to Africa in a while and not gay. So I just went on, did, did my thing, didn't care. Okay. So then you come to find out that, well, you actually are at risk. Anybody's at risk, but you think you're invincible. So Look at, look at one of the bigger universities in this country. Look at what they said. We're gonna open up for school in August. University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, alma mater. How long did that last? And what were the pictures being shown of? Parties. Therein lies the, therein lies the rap though. You, you, want, you know where I'm going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. They showed parties. Who was having the parties? The entitled people, not the student athletes. You didn't see a whole lot of student athletes at those parties. Why? Because 
they were being told that you probably you should probably avoid that kind of stuff. You, you know, they were already under strict protocols, especially the football team from the from during the summer months. What ended up happening? They sent the students home, but the athletes remained. What are they going to do? They're still going to find outlets. They're college kids. College kids are going to find outlets. You're not protecting them by having them on campus when nobody else is there, when they can just saunter into downtown Chapel Hill, downtown Durham, they can get in their car and go over to Raleigh and they can hang out and they can party and they can do whatever they want to do and you're not going to stop them. If you can't stop, if you can't stop supposedly responsible professional athletes, you can't stop them. What is the makeup of college football and college basketball? I would submit to you that the, the college football teams are probably 80, 80% African-American. Basketball, that number shoots up to probably 90, 95%, okay? You're talking about young African-Americans. People say, okay, well, cut them a break because they're young. They won't get it. Explain that to some of the people that have already passed away from COVID. Explain that to some of the people who don't understand how the virus works. The virus works and preys on the weakest. So we can't even protect ourselves right now. We can't even get a vaccine out, but yet we're going to tell these young kids, go on and play. We're, we're going to have some protocols. We're going to try to follow it. We're going to do this. And no, by the way, um, some of y'all, you want to go home for a couple of days? Go. You want to go home for Thanksgiving? Go. You want to go home for Christmas? Go. Well, there's the problem. The problem is, is that how are you going to isolate college kids. You just can't do it. Can't do it. It's not going to happen. Can't control them. We still live in the United States of America, supposedly, even though it's looking real shaky right now. Um, but we still, we still have personal freedoms. So to say that we're not endangering those kids and we're not taking advantage and, and to say it's nothing less than institutional slavery, but you're doubling down because now at least slaves had some minimal access to try to prevent something bad from happening to them. But now we're talking about a pandemic that's killing millions of people and has killed hundreds of thousands in our own community because of the disparities that still exist to this day from slavery. And so now we're doubling down on, on, our, on our best and our brightest. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I just, there's nothing else I can say about it. All right. Um, speaking of health and safety protocols, um, what do you think of uh, the NBA's current predicament right now? Um, the bubble was successful. No positive cases in the bubble. The NBA went back home for two months. They tried to start the season up. They had to postpone games. Um, you know, they've had teams have had outbreaks. Um, people are talking about possibly going back into a bubble. But here's the thing. The bubble worked from July until October, about three months for the Lakers and the Miami Heat, three, three and a half months. We're asking guys to go into a bubble. Some people are for six months. We are in the middle of January. The NBA Finals 
will probably start sometime early mid July. So, do you think it's feasible as far as the mental health for guys to even for the NBA to even consider going into a bubble right now? Um, what do you think about that? I I think it is absolutely the wrong thing to do. It is dehumanizing. It will cause major depression issues. It will cause major drug issues, as you've already seen in, in the general population. In, in the population that we were just talking about, um, the number, the, the number, the two things that were killing more kids of college age was not the virus, it was the byproduct of the virus, social isolation leading to depression, leading to suicide, or social isolation leading to depression, leading to drug abuse, leading to drug overdose. So to put the NBA in a bubble now would mean that they learned nothing from when they went in the bubble for the three months, which was wild, which was very successful. As, as you said, T, as far as there were no positives there, but when you really start to peel the layers away of all the discussions and all of the talks that went into creating that bubble at the time that they created it, their number one concern was the mental health of the players. Because if me or you or your grandmother, my mother, when they say the one thing that has affected them the most is the social isolation, not being able to get out. It's depressing. We've all been depressed. I've been depressed. T, T and I have talked about it. He's been depressed. Think about if we had to live in that depressed state away from support systems, away from our spouses, away from our kids, it can't happen. You know, I don't think I don't think the players would let it happen. Well, I don't think there's no way in hell the players are going to let that happen and agree to it. One, and then people are talking about, oh, well, they're getting paid millions of dollars, isn't that? We forget that these athletes are human beings first before they're athletes. They have families, they have children, they have people that you know they rely on for support. Um, and for people to sit there and say, oh, this should go to a bubble for six months. Oh, you're still getting paid millions. Yeah, they're getting paid millions. But first, we got to remember that these people are human beings, too. Um, no. Coach, how do you feel? Let me ask you this. Let me jump in here. How do you feel? Because recently, Charles Barkley, who's no, you know, goes to shock value and, you know, hot topics around here and hot takes. Um, he recently stated that the players, including NFL players, NBA players, and NHL players, should get first gives on the vaccinations um, due to how much they pay in taxes. And, you know, as recently, you know, just the vaccinations have been going out, I think specifically here in North Carolina, I believe last Thursday or Friday, Governor Roy Cooper um, allowed um, the age group of 65 and up to get first gives on the vaccinations. Um, do you side with Charles Barkley on the players, including NFL, NBA, and NHL, 
getting first gives them vaccinations or should it still be your essential workers getting first, then your um, elderly folks that are in nursing homes, hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. Should they be next line to get vaccinations or should, do you go off of what Charles Barkley is saying? The amount of taxes you pay should determine if you get the vaccination next in line. All right, first things first. I've been a lifelong fan of Charles Barkley. Second, on this issue, I absolutely disagree. Charles Barkley and, and uh, some of the other people that have made statements recently um, in the entertainment industry about who they were gonna vote for for president, they have lost their mind, okay? Now, Charles Barkley's had a long time to, to, to create this elitist type point of view, which is based solely on the dollar. To me, that is insensitive and does not even come to understand the who really is at risk, okay? Now, I'm not gonna sit here and say that NBA players, NHL players, everybody's at risk from this, but it is clear that the communities of color who have been historically denied equal access to healthcare dating all the way back to when we were brought to this country against our will. Those communities should see it first. Second, the people who have to take care of these people should get it. Frontline workers, number one. Ambulance workers, number one. First responders, number one. One A, is elderly because the elderly are a lot more susceptible to this virus and they're a lot more likely to die. So yes, it, yes, it should, it should be going to the elderly. But I'm gonna throw you in a little caveat. This is a little bit of doctor speak that I've had across with some of my partners. We should not be vaccinating 91 year old people who are in nursing homes where an outbreak is rampant. What are you doing? You're now a lot of people on this call are going to, are going to get real rigged out about this, but I've always said this and I will say it. No, I don't believe in socialist medicine. I don't believe in how they do things in Canada, but I do believe that we wouldn't be where we are in healthcare today if we, if we learned how to utilize our resources and conserve them a little bit better. I'd rather vaccinate my 85-year-old mother who lives at home by herself, who's been self-quarantining, who's undergoing depression because she can't really get outside of the house instead of vaccinating someone of her same age who's in a nursing home where there's been an outbreak of 13 or 14, there's 14, 15 people COVID positive. She may, she, the person that in the nursing home might already be COVID positive and may have five days to live. What are we doing? 
So the answer, so to answer Charles's question, no, Charles Barkley, you got it wrong. Just because you make a dollar, and Terrence even talked about this. We get so caught up in this entertainment industry. We put athletes on pedestals. We do all this kind of stuff. I say no, but this is what I do say. And this is where athletes across all sports can have a very profound effect. They should, the NFL and the NBA and MLB and the rest of them should be running ads right now to get the people that really need to get the vaccinations to understand. Because again, we've, we've talked about it on this, on this call so far. Everything goes back to how we as African-Americans have been treated in this country from the day we got here, right? There's a huge population of our brothers and sisters who are not going to take this virus or at least not gonna take it right now, if ever. Why? Oh, let's look at the Tuskegee project or experiment. Really, I should call it the experiment. It wasn't yeah. no damn project. It was an experiment, yeah, experiment. okay? Yeah, it was. So we need those athletes, right? I hate to say this, but when Jerome Adams, who's the Surgeon General of um, the United States of America, African-American, works in the same specialty as I, yeah, that was powerful what he did. But look, people, people in, in our community, we don't look, we don't, Especially the especially the younger you get, we don't look up to doctors. We don't look up to lawyers. And I'm not and I'm, and I'm not saying that in a good way or a bad way or any type of way. We look up to people that we see on TV. That's where the culture has gone in America. Who can talk the loudest? Who can look the prettiest? Who can hit the hardest? Who can shoot the best? That's the pop culture that we live in now. So if the NBA, the NFL, the athletes, the Charles Barkley, the former athletes, the Hall of Famers, if they want to do anything to really and truly help their community, don't talk to me about money and tax dollars. That's totally irrelevant. That's totally insensitive. You need, you need to check your neighborhood card, card in and remember where you came from, bruh, okay? You need to be getting on TV and get people of your ilk, like Mike and all the people that played in your generation and say, when it is our time to get vaccinated, we will get vaccinated. And we encourage our brothers and sisters from Alabama, North Carolina, Mississippi, New York, all 50 states, get the vaccine. Remember what Valvano said, it may not save your life, but it may save the life of somebody that you love. Get it, it's real. Do not believe the MAGA people and the Trump people. It's real, people are dying, okay? It's real. Someone that I work with has contracted it. It's real. Thank you, sorry, it took so long. <laughs> No, it's, it's fine, Coach. It's fine, Coach. Uh, we see the passion. We hear the passion in your voice. Um, with that being said, I want to get your a quick opinion on this right here where the vaccination is here. It's out. It's being distributed to our frontline workers first and our elderly. 
we had Adam Silver the other day mention the virus and the bubble and cancellation of games, which continue and continue to be canceled. NFL, we've had players contracted where it's affecting not only the outcome of games, but the outcome of our playoffs also. Should it be a mandatory going forward that, or a mandate going forward that our players in these leagues should get the virus? Like, can you force someone legally to vaccine, get this vaccine, virus? Vaccine, yeah. not virus. I'm sorry, get the vaccination. Should you legally mandate these players in these leagues to get them? Like, can you legally say, hey, you have to get it or you're not going to play? You're not going to get your game checked. You're not going to be able to provide for your family. You're not going to be able to pay your bills. Can you legally make them get the vaccination? That is a wonderful question. And that has all kind of layers. So let me start trying to peel back the layers, right? Freedom of self-determination, freedom of speech, freedom to choose what you do with your own body, AKA abortion and stuff like that. So it gets real, real, it gets real, real tricky. I come down on the side of, no, you should not mandate people that they have to get a vaccine or else. You should encourage and you should continue to have those people follow the same protocols because here is what a lot of people are not talking about. And I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners on this podcast have not heard this yet. This will be the first time that you want to hear it. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm an anti-vaxxer because I am a vaxxer. I've already received my first dose of Moderna. I'm due for my second dose in, in uh, eight days. It's not the end all. The vaccine, they're starting to look at how long are you going to get immunity? My wife just asked me this morning, are we going to have to get a back? Are we going to have to go through this every year? Quite frankly, I don't know the answers to all that yet. And here's another one. Here's another sobering one. And I'm not going to name names of the vaccines because I don't have access to their data. So the information I'm about to give the second hand, there is a concern that one of the vaccines confers a little bit better of immunity to the point where you can still, here's the sobering point, you can still get infected when you've had the vaccine. You're less likely to have a severe case with one versus another, and both of them are low anyway, but you can still potentially spread it, even though some of the data coming out on one of the vaccines seems to say that the viral load is so low that you might not be able to get it. So the long and short of it is we live in a free country. No, you cannot mandate it. You should encourage it, but you still have to follow the same protocols that you would, whether you were vaccinated or not. And so, and, and just to clarify that, so because people talk about, well, testing, can't you test for it? whatever? People, what need, people need to realize is there are a couple of different tests. Some tests for the antibody to show that you've been infected. Some tests for the antigen to show that yet you are infected. Those tests are not perfect. There are false negatives associated with them. False negative meaning that 
you tested negative, but you're really positive. And we all probably have stories of people that we, we for sure know they had it. They lost their taste. They lost their smell. They got a fever and they never tested positive. So we live in a, in a world right now where there's so many spinning parts to come out that far, that far down the side of, we're gonna take away your livelihood because you refuse to get a vaccine. Fortunately, we still live in the United States of America, but you know what? Never know when things could change, but I don't think they're changing anytime soon on that one. I think that's a violation of somebody's civil rights and the ACLU and the left will be all over it. Uh, I can answer that real quick. Hell no, that they won't be mandatory. First off, the NBA and the NBA Player Association and all these police have player associations. There's no way in hell a player association is going to agree to mandated vaccinations. Point blank, period. It ain't happening. Um, so we had a big trade this week. Um, James Harden going to the Brooklyn Nets to go to a more light subject. Um, Coach, what are your thoughts on the trade? But before you give your thoughts on the trade, let me say the real loser of the James Harden trade are the strippers in Houston. So James Harden, as we all know, is a walking stimulus check. He's paid a lot of young women's rent, put a lot of young women through college. And there were dancers on the Joe Button podcast that called in upset that James Harden <laughs> is gone <laughs> the the winner of the james harden trade are the strippers in brooklyn and new york city because the walking stimulus check that james harden is is coming to brooklyn but enough of the stripper talk we can talk about that a whole nother time hopefully onyx will be back up soon i miss their wings if you ever been to onyx and charlotte you know the wings are on point fellas now going back to basketball, enough of the strip club talk. What are your thoughts on the uh, James Harden trade? Well, you just talked about um, the, the the strippers and, and, and things getting lighter for them. Uh, let's just hope that James Harden gets a little bit lighter, um, not in, in the wallet, but in, in what holds the wallet, which is the waistline, even though got off to a very good start um, with, his, with his first game being a triple-double. And just the last reference to the strippers, let's just understand that James Harden's going to have to be a little bit more uh, careful in, in New York than he is than he was in Houston. Um, anybody needs to understand that, just watch the show called Hustlers. You'll get my drift. So anyway, triple-double first game. So now I can I can hear it now. Oh yeah, boy, that was a great trade. You know, we were yeah, we were kind of worried. We didn't know if he would, if he was gonna have a hangover, layover, whatever, blah 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 da 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 da. Okay, I'm gonna put on the brakes on all this. There is a ceiling. The roof is the ceiling, as famously quoted by y'all know who I'm talking about. Well, there is a roof on the, the, the Brooklyn Nets. It's getting to the finals. Will they get there? They probably will. But they have a flaw, people. 
they have a flaw. Their flaw right now is and whether they have time to correct it and whether they have money to correct it, that remains to be seen. There's no inside presence on this team. Some would argue that when you look at it position by position, you may have one of the top 10 most lethal offensive triple th threats in the history of the NBA. I know my, my young uh, uh, compatriots on this show will, can, can run down the list a lot quicker and a lot better than I, than I can, but this one is right up there. And you notice how I padded myself by saying top 10 because I, I know it's top 10, but it's on the offensive side of the ball. Some of your greatest triple threats have been able to um, be threats on both sides of the ball. They'll, they'll probably make it to the finals and then they'll run, against, run up against the Los Angeles Lakers who have an inside presence that is legitimate, that is mean, that is nasty, and that has already been tested. So that's, that's my take on that trade. I think it benefited a lot of people. I'm sorry to hear um, that one of the teams that could have, that could have benefited um, from the trade, which was the Indiana Pacers with Karis LeVert, um, Thoughts and prayers out to Karis, man. I hope I hope whatever it is will be taken care of and you can get back to playing because you sure were having a great run in uh, Brooklyn. I think that Steve Nash arguably has the toughest head coaching job in America, in all of North American sports right now. And I say that to the point I'm going to get at right now, which is when you have three alpha dogs on the same roster – that have never played together besides Harden and Durant back in 2012, which ultimately they lost the NBA Finals to the Miami Heat. But when you have these three personalities on the same squad, two specifically at the point guard position, who's going to take a back seat? Who's going to take a lesser role for the ultimate prize, which is the NBA championship? I say that also where Steve Nash has never had a head coaching job head coaching experience. They have no inside presence outside of DeAndre Jordan, who is a defensive rim protector, in my opinion, who can give you 10 and 11 points a game, five assists, three blocks. I type a stat line like that. But I think at the end of the day, like you said, they lack the interior presence offensively. You could put Durant in the stretch four, which is inevitable, which I think they will do. You put him in the stretch four, but at the end of the day, Who's going to take the last shot? Who's going to, you know, reduce their role for the, uh, you know, NBA championship? And that's just how I feel about it. I think that they still got to get more weapons. Um, they have three roster spots, which they can use a mid-level exception one to get three other players, uh, veterans, um, some, you know, notable people on the market right now, are, you know, Isaiah Thomas, Amon Shumpert, Jamal Crawford, Michael Beasley. But of those players who I mentioned, who plays the center position? None of them. That's right. None of, none of them. And that's what they're lacking right now. They lack a interior presence because when they get to the finals against the Lakers or the Clippers, whoever it is, specifically the Lakers, who I think is going to be, AD is going to get them boys barbecue chicken 24-7 in the paint. Hell. Easy. Easy 30 and 10, 20 and 10. Marcus Gasol, who can pass the rock like no other. Dennis Schroeder, who, in my opinion, 
is so underrated right now, who was mentored by CP3, who, if you watch Lakers this season, last year in the bubble, yeah, I give Rondo's props because he stepped up drastically in the bubble. But have you watched the Lakers this season with Dennis Schroeder, the show he's putting on on the offensive end? We know he we know he's a dog on the defense. We know he can pick you up 94 feet. We know he can pick you up half court. He can, he can set the offense. He can set the defense. His motor he has, he's a dog. He's a dog. And he will give you buckets. And this is the first time in a long time LeBron doesn't have to literally do everything on the floor. He had We have a bench that can give you points, give you production. And that's so vital, and it hasn't been mentioned. It hasn't been really utilized the most. Like, this Laker team is dangerous, specifically from the bench rotation. And I think that the, the Rock – I mean, not the Rockets. The Nets have to get an interior force on the, in, on the inside. They have to. It's inevitable. Hell, the Lakers, are we sure that they're going to have tr- trouble with Philly? Because Joel Embiid, uh, a lot of people are talking about Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level. And you still have Ben Simmons. We have Dwight Howard. We have shooters now around Philadelphia. I'm not saying that Brooklyn won't beat Philadelphia, but Philadelphia will give them problems. But And, you know, the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I mean, who's going to guard LeBron? They need a wing defender because Kevin Durant just isn't big enough. James Harden isn't athletic enough, and Kyrie isn't tall enough to deal with LeBron on the defensive end of the court. Joe Harris, no. Um, I mean, who do they have really that's going to guard LeBron in the wing? And then, like you said, AD in the paint. Barbecue chicken. You know, another team that I could see giving Brooklyn trouble. We mentioned Joel Embiid. You know, Miami has an interior presence too. Bam Adebayo. They have the precious Achua. I mean, Miami's going to be tough. I know they aren't. They're struggling right now, but. Teams with interior presence are going to get Brooklyn trouble. They're going to go into the paint, and they have no depth behind DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan gets in foul trouble. Who really are they going to have in the paint? Their next tallest player is 6'8". Jeff Green, Reggie Perry, Nicholas Claxton. I mean, these guys aren't the biggest, the nastiest, the meanest. And, you know, the Lakers, you know, everybody wants to shoot, talk about threes, threes, threes. But the Lakers proved last year that size still matters in the NBA. They were flat out bigger than everybody last year. They were nastier than everybody last year in the interior. And when you have that presence back there, Anthony Davis that can protect the rim, anybody that comes in has to look over their shoulder with Anthony Davis. And last year they had Dwight Howard, a rim protector. JaVale McGee was a rim protector. This year, instead of AD, you bring in Marcus Saul as a physical presence. You bring in Harold, who brings the nastiness off the bench. LeBron James is 6'8", 250. I'd as of right now, I have Lakers in six. I have Lakers in six. Depending on what happens on the waiver wire, will Brooklyn make some moves? I still have three roster spots open. We'll see. But as of today, January 17, 2021, I am taking the Lakers over Brooklyn in six because who's going to guard AD? Nobody. Nobody. I, com- I completely agree. James Harden, Olive Garden, I beg your pardon. Lakers and six. Lakers and six, man. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, fellas, real quick, because we're running short on time. What are your thoughts of um, some of the NFL games that we've seen so far and quick predictions for the two games today? I'll let you start, All Coach. Right. All right. Yesterday, you saw 
what happens when the best team in a conference has home field advantage, which confers a weather advantage, and they are healthy, and the and everybody tries to underestimate and make it a battle of the best defense and the best offense. And everybody always wants to say, try and say, well, defense wins championships. Well, defense didn't win a championship yesterday. Defense got doubled up as far as total yards, four yards away from getting doubled up, all right? Next thing that people don't understand about that game is the coach for Green Bay is better than a lot of people think. He knows and gets along with Aaron Rodgers better than a lot of people think. Even if Aaron Donald was at full strength, they still would have schemed him right out of the thing. They can roll Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is arguably the best quarterback ever. Getting out of the pocket, getting open, and, and, and creating plays deep downfield from a scrambling position. He is the best open field, out-of-pocket quarterback the league's ever seen, except maybe for his predecessor, Brett Favre. The gunslinger. Aaron Rodgers, out of play-action passes this season, 21 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mind-boggling stat. 21 touchdowns and zero interceptions out of play-action passes. He missed a couple passes last night that were going to get them seven points automatically. He missed a couple deep throws on a stop-and-go route on the left side that he had the defender beat. Aaron Rodgers just overthrew him. The score could have been a whole lot worse yesterday if we want to keep it real. I mean, let's just let's just call it like it is. The number one offense against number one defense, arguably. Jalen Ramsey, who I think is probably arguably the best defensive back in the league outside of a Tredavion White. He was getting torched last night. Torched. Completely torched. Good offense always beats a good defense. So let's get to the let's get to the next game, which was something um, that I really love talking about. And my, the, the two shades of blue, because I'll I'll never be able be able to stand up and and be the third because you all are doing such a great job. But when y'all coached with me, we had a saying, and it still and it and, and it it goes across all lines. I don't care what the sport is, and I don't care what the level of the sport is. Really and truly, sit down with yourself, meditate over this for the listeners. Meditate about it, think about it. If you feel inclined, pray about it. Because here's the deal: when you look at your team, does your team have a good coach? When you look at your favorite team, does your favorite team have a good scheme? And when you look at your team, do the players execute the scheme that the coaches put on the thing? If they do, you're probably a little bit happy right now. You know, you probably had some success. You probably had maybe, maybe you had success when you played or maybe you had success with your favorite team now. You know what happened to Baltimore last night? The former Super Bowl winning coach got out got out coached by Carolina's former defensive coordinator. Did the quarterback for uh, Baltimore? Oh, I'm sorry, Lamar. 
did he break out and run? Was he able to get get those long runs and get into the end zone like he did with Tennessee? No. What'd you do? You forced him into a pocket passer. Whoa, 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 everybody. Oh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, he can pass from the pocket. Yeah, I agree. He can. Lamar Jackson's issue is not whether or not he can run or pass or whatever. His issue is he's not up there yet, even though he's won an MVP, he's not up there yet as far as reading defenses and understanding schemes and and knowing what what players are going to try to take away from him and how they're going to defend him. If you look at that pass and you break it down, um, the pick six, if you break it down, he failed to recognize that Buffalo had dropped basically everybody into tight zone windows. There was no way that when he saw a mirage, okay? I can't speak for him, but he saw a mirage. He saw somebody standing in the end zone that appeared to have only one person anywhere within two to three yards of him. What happened? He throws it right to him. But dude who picked it off, Johnson, he only had to take one or two steps. He didn't have to do a whole lot of work to pick that pass off. Open scheme execution, ugly game, but somebody had to win it. The team that had the better coaching, the better plan or scheme, and executed that scheme, won the game. That team will give the winner of today's game between Cleveland and Kansas City problems. But Kansas City has the coaching tree, the Andy Reid coaching tree one of the most prolific coaching trees in the history of the NFL and arguably maybe even some other, in some other sp major sports. Look it up on your own time. It's too many for me to count. Okay. Now, last game, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Two of the best quarterbacks ever played the game. Whoever wins is going to have to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And if you thought last, yesterday was pretty, the little snow flurries and whatever, oh, it's going to be a little bit worse. It's going to be 10 degrees colder, probably snowier. At least that's what the forecast is saying. But, you know, I don't trust weathermen either. But one of those teams is going to go into Lambeau in January against arguably the top, arguably the MVP this year. Now that's up for argument because the MVP may be playing today and likely is, but you're going up against the most valuable player in the national football conference. You're not going to win, but today's game should be very interesting. It should be interesting to see because I firmly believe, and you guys on this call know this, it's hard to beat a team three times. Three times, yeah, it is. It's hard to beat a three team three times. And I'm just going to shout out to, to my son, Terrence. Um, we were actually able to, 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 to share in that. 
um, one year when I co- when I coached him and, and, and his team went 24 and zero. We had to beat a team three times. It's hard. And the last time and the last time we beat them was the hardest time because that was going to separate us from perfection. And they were ready and they didn't want they didn't want us to have it. So that being said, I'm looking at I'm taking to me, it's a toss up. New Orleans, Tampa Bay. I'm going actually Tampa Bay. I'm going uh, Kansas City over Cleveland, and neither one of the t- and I'm going Super Bowl, Kansas City, Green Bay. Uh, real quick, um, let's see. The first game today, Cleveland versus Kansas City, and Royal. No disrespect when I say this, but after Cleveland walked into the Pittsburgh's trap last week and took over their trap. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was a video of the Steelers um, after they won a big game early in the season. They had Bankroll Fresh, RIP, Bankroll Fresh, um, had a song called Walk Over Your Trap. They were celebrating, dancing, and Cleveland went to Pittsburgh and took over their trap last week. But Pittsburgh isn't Kansas City. Pittsburgh doesn't have the former Super Bowl champ. Um, the only chance that Cleveland had, they're going to have to possess the ball for at least 35 minutes, maybe even 40 minutes to even have a chance. They're going to have to use Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. They're going to have to win the battle in the trenches. And even then, it's not going to be enough because it's Arrowhead, it's Pat Mahomes. They're going to win. And um, I just don't see Cleveland putting up enough points against Kansas City. The game tonight is the battle of two evils. You have Tom Brady. We don't like Tom Brady down here. New Orleans speaks for itself. You know how I feel about the Saints. I can't stand them. They're a bunch of dirty, bounty head, dirty, bounty head hunting. You know, yeah. I'll uh, keep it PG for now, so I don't get fired for what I really want to say. But anyways, it is hard to be a team three times. I think Tom Brady's going to be motivated. Um, I'm going to go with Tampa. You know, winner of this game is going to lose next week in Lambeau anyway. So that's how I feel about it. Roy, how do you feel about it? Um, The first game, I believe, is the Chiefs and Browns. Um, Several years ago, when Pittsburgh had Le'Veon Bell, A.B., we had the recipe to beat the Chiefs, and we beat them pretty frequently also. The recipe to beat the Chiefs is keeping Pat Mahomes off the field, even though he didn't play that year. But we had a run game that was just unstoppable. They beat Pat Mahomes. You have to keep him off the field. The Browns have the recipe. You have Kareem Hunt, who said last week after the win against Pittsburgh, this is personal to him. If you know he was formerly a member of that team and, you know, due to off the field issues, which I'm not going to get into right now, he was released, suspended, did his time. And he's back playing for the Browns who walk into Arrowhead today with their heads held high, looking to walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, do I believe they're going to beat the Chiefs? Hell no. I think Pat Mahomes is going to light that ass up. Probably four touchdowns. I think the only way they have a chance of beating the Chiefs is if they run the game and they stop Travis Kelsey. Um, that's Pat Mahomes' number one target. They also don't have an answer for – um, Tyreek Hill and Miles on either, but stopping the Chiefs, you have to have a number one defensive back on Travis Kelsey. That's Pat Mahomes' number one, number one check down to which is Kelsey. Kelsey is he runs like an angle wide receiver, 
He's a Brahma Blue out the backfield. They have so many offensive play calls that they can run. They have so many weapons on the outside that I think it's hard to stop them. But to stop them, you have to keep them off the field. Can Baker Mayfield not turn the ball over, which will be mon- monumental today? Monumental. If he gets not, you know, make turnovers, I think they have a great way and a great chance of upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs. The second game, the Buccaneers and the Saints. It's always, like we've mentioned many times before, it's always hard beating the team three times. Um, I think during this game, it could be a high-scoring game. Um, I think that, you know, a chance to go to Lambeau Field, potentially going to the Super Bowl, this is like one of those calls where I think the Buccaneers can beat them finally, but the Saints just have so many weapons on the outside with Mike Thomas and Kamara. Um, also, Taysom Hill was not playing today. That was announced shortly ago. Taysom Hill will not be playing today. That's a big loss for the Saints. Um, Drew Brees likes to check down. Um, he has a weapon that he hasn't really utilized like I think I thought he would this season in Emmanuel Sanders, who's another viable number two option on the outside, along with Mike Thomas. Um, but if the Buccaneers can stop Kamara and force Breeze into the pocket, where this year his arm has looked like Peyton Manning his last season, which he has a noodle arm this year, um, just for the stuff that Drew Brees has said outside of the football field has rubbed me the wrong way a lot this season. And I hope the Buccaneers beat the shit out of the Saints today. I honestly just hope they beat the brakes off of them. Excuse my language, but it's just some things are more and bigger than football. And I think Brees putting on the front just because he has to. Um, the recipe is in the pudding. I hope the Buccaneers beat the shit out of them today. All right. Well, we're going to end it on that. Like you said, the Saints, when they do lose, trust and believe. I got some things to say about the Saints. Don't like them. Don't respect them. Heated division rival. I'm going with Tampa Bay. But this wraps up this episode of Two Shades of Blue. You can find me on Twitter, T underscore Hatch 89. Uh, Roll let the people know where they can find you at. And they can find me at True Blue 1824 and Royal Blue 1824. All right. This wraps up this episode of Two Shades of Blue. Until next time, thank you for listening and have a safe weekend. Have a safe MLK weekend and we'll holler at you next week. Yes, sir. Peace.